0: And welcome to Civil Discourse. I'm Jamie Wojciechowski.
1: And I'm Marilyn Brown.
0: And today we are discussing the recent protests and violence and terrorism that occurred over the weekend um, in Charlottesville. Um, and I'm going to start with a quote um, by Martin Luther King Jr. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy yeah yeah i really i mean i i did write kind of uh a response on facebook but i really struggled with uh what 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 i was saying and what i was kind of feeling as everything was was happening it was just so overwhelming because i think it's obvious that all this had has been boiling for so long, but to actually see it evolve in this way is still like strangely shocking, even though it's not at all. It's just, it's weird for me.
1: Yeah. I I think you're, you're definitely speaking to, um, to kind of what I've, my, my, Thoughts on it, um, have been similar that it it has been boiling for a long time. And, and I, but I think that that part isn't obvious to everyone. I think that there's still, there are people who it, it still isn't really obvious just how deeply rooted, um, in our country, the, the hate and the, the white supremacy is. And so I really think that, um, Cause we, you know, the country's done a really good job or a really poor job of, of telling our history and of, 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 you know, changing it and, 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 and having this kind of false equivalency issue. And so, so people really don't see it that way. And as much as I'm someone that has been aware of this and has seen this brewing and has been, you know, worried that there would be something that something like this would happen at some point um everybody doesn't see it that way and i think that part really resonates with me and that's kind of the the challenge with the discussion is that whoever you talk to about it with they're coming from kind of their own perspective of either this is a complete you know shock that something like this would happen and that they're actual nazis mo- marching in the united states Or they come from a complete different, you know, standpoint of this, of like, yeah, this is what, this is where we've been going and this isn't Mm -hmm. a surprise. Um, And for me, that makes it challenging to even, to even discuss. So yeah, I think like I, I've been really hesitant. I haven't really been able to like even form A post about it or even really respond to anything to anyone else's post about it i'll maybe start typing something and then i just can't really get the words out because it's i don't really know what to say
0: right and and there's also uh, at least for me there's been no mindful discussion about it i think there was a lot while it was happening there was a lot of uh, emotional reactions in the moment and then as soon as those simmer instead of actually thinking about things mindfully it comes political so quick like i saw just a lot of a lot of back and forth about free speech and what people are actually angry about and i think i think it's important for us to i don't want to see clear up but explain at least from my perspective of trying to see things mindfully is that for me this is not a free speech issue. It's not about whether people had a right to be upset about a statue or really, even if any ideology is legal or is is allowed for people to have. The difference is when you're actually in the streets, chanting hate speech and committing acts of terrorism. I mean, when we were in when in the when someone crashed, what was it, a bus or whatever in in the UK and killed people, it was instantly referred to as terrorism. And here the same exact thing happens. But when it's a white man, we don't call it that. And I think it's it's vital to call it that for a lot of different reasons. But for me, the biggest reason is if we're afraid to call it terrorism, we're afraid to find a solution. Because we understand terrorism, we know how people are radicalized, and we yeah. talk about it with with Muslims in the Middle East all the time on how you radicalize them, and the reality is white men in America are being radicalized the same exact way. It's the yeah. same techniques, it's the same things, and if we're not going to call it out as terrorism, we're never going to start talking about what's actually causing this to happen. Right.
1: And what I'll say is that I agree with all of that, and I also think that it's not fear that's stopping people from calling what it is. I think it's intentional, you know, and I think that is important as well. It is intentionally there there's, it's, it's, it's not a coincidence that these things are happening now um, that we have a different administration that we have a president that has known people with Nazi ties in the white house. And so These are, these are emotions that have been there and have been brewing, but now people feel able to go out and, and march and be threatening and, and, and actually be violent and, and arm themselves. And the, it makes sense. It makes sense because there, there is an intentional tiptoeing around calling them what they call themselves so you know in the president's statement um he 48 hours later and we can talk about that later but 48 hours after it happened finally used the words um nazis and or neo-nazis and um and but he intentionally did not say white nationalists you know and that's part of the the rhetoric that that a lot of the people are that a lot of these groups are calling themselves and so i think there's an intentional message of it is safe to, to do these things, you'll be protected. And, and that is a really scary thing, but that's the reality that we're living in right now. And I think that part should not be surprising that we have, that, that we have an administration that, that is protective of, of these ideologies and of, of these, of these types of behaviors, because he was saying those things before he was elected, you know, and he has a long history of, of, racist behaviors of discriminatory actions with his business practices. So, so this is not a surprise, but I think part of the the issue with, with the United States is that we intentionally continue to ignore what a large population of our citizens have been saying for a very long time and shutting it down. And until things happen to white people, that's when, that's when everyone can say, Oh, wow, we, we have a problem. You know, and so I think that's also a big part of it. But a lot of this is extremely intentional. You know, we have the person who was the leader of the birtherism, you know,
0: conspiracy
1: in in, in the White House.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, there's also a lot of hypocrisy that happens, and it always happens after events like this. And I think I've seen a lot of debate over how responsible Trump is. And I think it is important to point out exactly what we're pointing out is that Trump didn't create this. It's not like Trump ran for president. And all of a sudden there were all these racists that <laughs> existed way before him. What he did is through his rhetoric, he made them feel comfortable and safe expressing views that yes. they once knew were taboo and that they shouldn't express in public. Yes. And I think that's, the big the big difference because i've seen a lot of things about it it just becoming political about well this wouldn't be happening if hillary was in office and things like that and it's just not true it probably i mean we don't know but there i see no evidence that it wouldn't just by trump running and being on the presidential ticket as the republican nominee empowered people and because of that this was bound to happen no matter what the outcome of The election was and the other thing i see is a big hypocrisy that i want to talk about is this comparison to what happened to black lives matter and Mm
1: -hmm. the only thing the only thing
0: i want to say about it is no matter what your feelings are on black lives matter as an organization as a movement there's a huge difference and the huge difference is whenever any violence occurred whether it was someone who claimed they were marching with black lives matter or came to a black lives matter march and caused violence black lives matter and their leadership instantly came out against it against the violence saying that their peaceful organization, nothing in their platform has includes violence of any nature. So the difference for me is that none of these organizations that were marching have come out and said anything about the violence and the violence is part of what their mission is. Their, their mission is violent. It's in all their bylaws. It's what the organization is. So that's the big difference yeah. for me.
1: Yeah. That That's a huge difference. And I mean, I think that even just going that, that's one of, that's one of the most obvious differences, but also just, I think that it's important for people. If you feel, if you have a strong negative feeling about black lives matter as an organization, I think it's important to ask yourself why. Because if you actually look at and read and, 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 and see what Black Lives Matter is advocating for, it's for basic human rights for black people. That is it. Stop killing us. It, it really boils down to a pretty basic thing. And so if that in and of itself is, is something that you struggle with, I think that I think everybody really this is a time where everybody has to start questioning why we believe the things that we believe. You know, we, we we believe things because we've been conditioned to, because we've, we've been in, in, in certain situations and we don't know any better. But at the same time, we're in a situation now where we have to start taking that responsibility and and asking ourselves these questions. And so with this this really dangerous false equivalency of, of Black Lives Matter, that, that is a, a peaceful organization that peacefully marches and, and, and is met with with police and riot gear you know time after time um that we we can't even have a conversation if that's your argument like if that's where you're coming from that's where i i don't even really know how to have a conversation because if you really truly believe that then
0: i I also think it is i think it is a way to shut the conversation down whether that's conscious and something someone's trying to do or subconscious Mm -hmm. because if if your reaction to nazis with literally with swastika
1: and weapons flags
0: and and weapons and and chants of hitler quotes is to then say well black lives matter and talk about this organization over here you are condoning their behavior because you were basically saying, well, these people do it too. So if you're saying, so then I say, and what's your point? So are you saying that it's okay that they are behaving this way because you somehow perceive this other organization in in a, in a specific way? It's just, I, I think it's exactly what you're saying. I think it's actually a tactic to derail the conversation as opposed to talking what's actually important and actually happening right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, these are tactics. Yeah, they're very intentional tactics. And I don't think the people that are like day to day parroting them are the ones that like manipulated and and have mastered the tactic. But I think intentionally the people who started this and started feeding that into it, this idea that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization or a violent organization, that that was intentional. And and the same thing happened with the Black Panther Party. That was an organization that was basically like, we feel like we, we want to have Second Amendment rights as well and and, and fed children and, and you know, and, and things like this. But it got turned into this, this history gets rewritten and we're watching mm-hmm. it happen right now. You know, and I think that's, that's really, I think, for me, kind of the core problem is that we continue to watch history be rewritten and we're allowing it and we're not really calling it out. And I think that it's concerning, you know, because um, we didn't get here, like you said, th- this is not about Donald Trump. You know, when people like demonize him, I mean, he clearly, you know, there, there's there's a problem and we need to talk about it, but it's not about him. And he did not create all of this. He, he, he saw, he rode the wave of it, you know? Um, but I think that we have to recognize that we didn't get here th- through you know, just randomly, we got where this is a country that has over 1500 monuments to the Confederacy in this country. I mean, that's, that's that like that, those are the things that we need to deal with. And I think that there, you know, ways that we're trying to deal with that. And I, you know, have some, some thoughts on that as well. But I think that, you know, we have to recognize that we live in a country that has decided to, again create this false equivalency where you know we just have this war and 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 you know glamorize the south and the confederacy and um make it okay to still have confederate flags around you know meanwhile the way the way germany has dealt with the aftermath of the holocaust we really could learn a lot from that but mm-hmm. instead we're so protective of you know this 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 heritage
0: right and i was Watching and reading some testimonies from some of the people who are marching with the Unite the Right march is what they called it, and they were talking about uh, the the statue and about that that heritage and the the importance of that. And no matter what the opinion on that is, the thing I, if you're if you're a person who considers themselves on the alt right and that is what you actually care about and you actually Believe that you're not racist and that you believe in equality and all those things, but that you just care about the heritage, which is what these people were claiming. if I put myself in in their shoes, I'd be outraged because you're never going going to be ha- you're never going to be able to have the conversation about the thing you care about because it's been radicalized if you care about the statue like it's going to now the the statue has been radicalized, where now it's actually proving all the things the other side is saying of why it should be gone. Is you're proving it by showing up with torches and Nazi flags and Hitler shirts and all these things. You're just you're just proving exactly the the fear of the other side. It's it's just it's 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 interesting that it becomes I don't know. I don't know if the the radicalization is like contagious in a way, <laughs> you know. Like I just don't, okay. I don't understand it because I'm sure there are people who who are are on all different levels and that aren't to the point of that they literally are Nazis who want to model the country after Germany under Hitler. Like I, there has to be a range, but I feel like it just. It, it overtakes them, and I don't know if it's the emotion or or what it is.
1: Well, I think it's I think it's the power of groupthink, and I think it's the power of vulnerability plus groupthink. You know, and so people come to people end up being radicalized for lots of different reasons, but usually it's someone who's vulnerable and you know feels some in some sort of struggle in their kind of day-to-day life and they end up seeking belonging, seeking connection. And that's how, that's how that happens, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think that, that there are varying degrees of, you know, whether people really believe it or whether people are, are just kind of there or questioning it or on the fence or fully and completely true believer radicalized. And I think that there's, there's different levels, but, it doesn't really matter that much because if there's a couple of people like the person who was radicalized and who was a a clear Nazi and who who went and, and, and drove into a crowd and committed murder, then it really, it doesn't even matter if there's a few people that are kind of questioning if one person takes this violent action. Um, But I do think that, that, you know, it's similar to like cult mentalities, you know. Everybody's not necessarily at the the complete, you know. Everybody's not a full full true believer, but if you're you're in the group, you tend to go along with the group.
0: All right, and that actually segues and, and- into. Oh, go ahead.
1: You know, yeah. I was just going to say the internet is a group. You know, so you don't even have to go outside and go to you know a neo-Nazi meeting. You can meet with a bunch of people who have, you know, similar views online and feel that sense of community and connection. And so I think we're in a very dangerous time where people are able to get radicalized a lot faster, you know, and without people even really knowing necessarily what's going on. Um, You know, their family, their, their loved ones really being able to kind of see how deep it goes because we can really be we can spend so much time alone with strangers on the Internet.
0: Right. And I think this is a good uh, segue to the organization I wanted to talk about, which is Life After Hate, um, that was created by Christian Pucciolini, uh, who was a neo-Nazi in the 90s um, and helped actually build uh, some of the biggest neo-Nazi organizations that now exist. And in the late 90s, he, his story is basically he started questioning it or I, I should even go back further. He was abandoned as a child um, and was basically radicalized because he was looking for a community and kind of a purpose. Uh, and I mean, there's pictures of him in, in Germany and which is, this is completely legal. Um, hailing Hitler doing all like these illegal things. And it was just for him. He, he, he says he never really thought about the idea. The ideology was just the action that he was told to do to f- feel like he was in this community and had this purpose Um, and once he got married and had a kid he started questioning the ideology and eventually left and started this organization called life after hate that the the sole purpose is helping de-radicalize people with in those movements Uh, and he he did release a statement and i just want to read i'm not i don't want to read the whole statement it was a, a long statement about charlottesville i i specifically want to read the the portion about radicalization uh, and he says i think ultimately people become extremists not necessarily because of the ideology. I think that the ideology is simply a vehicle to be violent. I believe that people become radicalized or extremists because they're searching for three very fundamental human needs, identity, community, and a sense of purpose. They're able to find that community and they're able to find that purpose that's being fed to them by savvy recruiters who understand how to target vulnerable young people. And they go for this solution because, frankly, it promises paradise and acquires very little work except for dedicating your life to that purpose. So uh, and and so much of that yeah. for me paralyzes or is is a parallel to. Islamic extremism oh, same. Uh, talking about paradise. And I, I'm, I'm sure he does that very intentionally. Uh, and I just think it's, it's an important because I, I see a lot of every, a lot of these like punch a Nazi type things. And I know a lot of people are just doing it for fun, but I think a lot of people mean it too. And the the problem with it is the same as just the, the philosophy of just drone and bomb the Middle East and these terrorist groups is every time you punch a Nazi, you give them ammunition to go radicalize two more. So we just have to start really looking at what, what is causing the radicalization because until then it's going to be really hard to ever correct it. And I mean, there's multiple layers like, yes, this Trump's presidency has, has helped expand the reach and really empower them in a way they ne- haven't felt empowered in a very, very long time. Yes. But we also really have to be focusing on the, the cause of it, what's what's creating it. And it's in, so much of it isn't based on racism. Racism is the end game and what is being fed, but it's not necessarily the underlying cause of why people are radicalized. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think you're right. I think that we have to really kind of look at like why people are vulnerable to being radicalized to this, to this degree. Um, And I think that, you know, definitely, I definitely do believe that, that racism is a conditioned scapegoat for everything else, you know, so for lack of education, lack of opportunities, um, lack of resources, things like that. I think that 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 racism is kind of an easy, um, sh- again, strategic um, scapegoat. But I do think that that there are other that there are deeper issues that are bringing people to 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 these places. Um, and I and I think that really one thing that really sticks out to me, and this has been kind of troubling to me for a while, um, is this. This, this idea and this feeling of like being really, really outraged, being really upset, um, but being unwilling to talk to the people that you even know and just kind of talk to your own community, your own family, your own loved ones. I think that um, that part troubles me and I think that's how we end up getting here. I think people get lost from the people that they're, closest to, and if we're afraid, you know, if you're afraid to, um, you know, and I have, I've had, I've had conversations with people, you know, that have said to me before the election, you know, kind of when we could see that, that he was the the nominee and that kind of, it was going in this direction and, and people would say to me, well, you know, my, my son is really, really uh, is real, uh, a real hardcore Trump supporter and is really racist. And I don't know how he got that way, but that that's my own kid. And maybe it's the neighborhood or whatever, but, but not having that conversation, you know, and I think that that that's important that we have to, we have to find a way to do that. and, And to, rather than kind of looking for these big, grand ways to com- contribute. And I, you know, I definitely I don't think that those those big ways are also not helpful and not important. But I think that like, even just having a conversation with a loved one, and 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 talking to them about this is could really is is really how we affect change. Um, right, right. And so so that's something that really kind of sticks out to me as as an important part of the conversation that needs to happen. Because again, we want to talk politics, and we want to talk you know, us versus them and be very, you know, well, this is really bad and, 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 and continue to, to, to denounce it and and to denounce the violence. And I think that's great, but there's another, there's another part that has to happen. Cause I think, again, we're really, we're, we're very um, quick to say, it's not me. I'm not doing this, but that can't be that, that, that's not that's not the important issue because it's still happening.
0: Yeah. And I think that goes back to the the quote at the beginning. I think the the measure of the man being how he stands in times of challenge and controversy is that same thing is just uncomfortable. And a lot of people don't want to be that, that uncomfortable and and sit in that. And it's the, the problem with that is when you are afraid of that and you run away from that and you remain silent it's never helpful to those being oppressed. It's only ha- helpful to the oppressor, um, which is also a Martin Luther King Jr. quote. Uh, so I think that's that's important. I think the other the other struggle is uh, whenever anything like this happens, it becomes political so quickly, and politics uh, in most of the world, and but very strongly in our country, is a form of radicalization, in my okay. opinion. Because people get radicalized so quickly. And I see that now of people who still can't come out against Trump and say this is wrong when he does this. And I just it's 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 a type of extremism, because when we have our leaders, we should be able to criticize our leaders and say, you know, I support my leader here and I don't support them when they do this, because you're never going to have a leader that you agree with all the time. Our leaders are human. They have their opinions. We have ours. And and you, I see this on both sides of the aisle. We saw it with every candidate in the election. It's this idea. And I think I, we've talked about this before. I think it stems from multiple things of people looking at it from sides and they don't want their sides to lose ground. So they're not willing to say anything negative about anyone that they perceive is on their side. But we just really hurt ourselves a lot more and become very radicalized and the more radicalized we become in politics the less we're ever going to get done and that's what the establishment wants they want us to be radicalized because then we're constantly fighting amongst ourselves and not actually challenging them in any meaningful way
1: right right and i think and that's that's also, yeah. I think that that that's such an important part, and and that's not that's not a democracy. I mean, that's not like we we don't live in a, a system where we're not allowed to challenge and we're not allowed to question our government. Like that's the entire point of why our constitution is the way it is and why we have the system that we have. If we we didn't, we would be a monarchy. And I think that that there are. People that want to really genuinely undo the the fiber of the way we do things in this country, and so I think that that is that is concerning because the, we we need to be able to ask these questions. And when our um, you know when when our Congress people and our, our our reps are not willing to to be honest and call things out and to say no, this is not okay, I think that we really are setting a really bad precedent for um, for our government, you know, and how things work. And I mean, we, and I think that's been happening. I think there's, like you said, that, 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 that idea didn't start with, with Trump either. You know, we've been dealing with that and kind of dealing with that struggle for a while.
0: Right. And I think too, when we're talking about talking to our family or our loved ones or friends or just people that we engage with in, in any way on, These issues or we overhear things, I think we often don't give people well, we don't self-reflect enough to go deep enough and we don't expect other people to be smart enough to actually talk about these issues in a a deep way and I'll give an example Uh, it's very easy to kind of make this political and be the, the standard argument but specifically on Black Lives Matter, where I get to a lot of people who do not support Black Lives Matter, is I'll try to look at what is the core of what we're both saying. And I'll say, because the conversation so often will become about whether police brutality is a thing statistically, and there'll be arguments about the statistics, and that's useless. And what I'll say is, for me, the statistics don't matter. What matters is that you have a giant population of people who feel that the police are out to get them. And no matter what the statistics say, that's not, has nothing to do with what the actual core of the problem is. So mm-hmm. the, the problem is, is that these people feel this way. So if we're going to correct it and we both want it to be corrected and for this problem to go away, we have to address that issue. And when you get to, and then once, and most people who claim they disagree with me, agree with that. And then from there, there's, there's disagreements, but once you can get on that point, you can actually then find solutions to the problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that is a, that's a very mindful way to have these conversations. And I think the difficulty is that people are not really in a place to have those kind of conversations. I think people's energy is not in a place to have those conversations. And so as much as I encourage people to talk to people and talk to their family and talk to people in their community. I also want to put a really big caveat to do that when you are in a place where you can have those conversations in a, in a way that's not aggressive. You know, I think a lot of times people will feel like, well, I should talk to the people and then I need to tell people about themselves. Right. And so if you're having the conversation coming from that standpoint, person you're talking to is definitely going to immediately get defensive. And then there's not going to be, you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to be able to even do what, what you did in that instance in that example. And so I think that, um, but I think what I think that takes, I don't think it takes a lot, but I think it takes, like, it takes being in a certain place to do that. And a lot of times people are coming to these conversations out of already being frustrated, or, you know, already being upset. And so I think that, you know, finding a way to kind of cleanse your own energy and, and and manage and feel like you're in a place where you can have a conversation about it before you do that is important because you have to be willing to listen. And that's that's what you did. You were willing to to listen and to say, okay, you know, let let's let let's just, you know, let me let me let me listen to what your concern is about this. Let me listen to what your beliefs, even though I I already believe what I believe.
0: (laughs) And unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties and our stream cut out, but I think we covered some very important topics and issues in the first 30 minutes. And we hope that you'll join us on Twitter or Facebook in our group, it's Mindfulness in Action Civil Discourse. And let us know uh, what you're feeling about uh, these issues and how your mindfulness practice is going. We'd love to hear from you. And we will see you all next week. Have a good one.